everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Buttermilk Boulevard. I'm your host, James, and today we are continuing our discussion into the Megadeth discography. Today's part two of the discography, we'll be covering a couple of albums um, up to the 10th studio record, so get looking forward to that. <laughs> um, if you didn't listen to part one, I do recommend that you go listen to that first. Um, just for context, of course, I might be mentioning things that we discussed in part one, um, so you might check that out. Um, also, if you're wondering where albums like Rust and Peace are or Peace Sells, who's buying, you might go check out part one because I uh, may have discussed it in that regard. So, again, I am uh, Buttermilk Boulevard. If you're not familiar with the podcast, we talk about discographies of your favorite bands and the artists behind them. I'm by no means an expert, but I do know some musical history and such like that, uh, being a guitarist myself as well as various other instruments drums piano etc um i play it all i do it all but i am just a fan not a music theory expert or anything like that so some of the things that you might hear in this podcast will mostly be my opinion and uh based on my kind of review of the different albums that we might discuss so if you don't agree with those opinions feel free to reach out to our various social medias we have instagram facebook twitter for those very exact reasons you will you'll also learn that buttermilk boulevard struggles to speak um <laughs> buttermilk boulevard no james the host of buttermilk boulevard struggles to speak um as you can tell by this you know fascinating distressful intro so again we are talking about megadeth again today so this is part two um just to kind of cover a little bit of what we discussed last time, uh, Megadeth's last album, and the last album that we discussed in part one, oh so many days ago, Countdown to Extinction. One of the band's more commercially successful albums to date, and certainly a fan favorite with some great tunes on it. The band went on tour to promote that album, and rolling that A-list money that they were getting from the popularity from the last couple of albums they'd put out as well. And they sure were getting sold-out shows, stadiums. I'm guaranteed that they were getting pretty up there um, trying to keep pace with their neighboring band, Metallica, which I have to mention in every single one of these episodes because it wouldn't be Megadeth without Metallica being mentioned somewhere in there as well. Um, the band wasn't without its problems despite the fame that you know, Countdown to Extinction gave them. It was reported that Countdown to Extinction and the prior to the next album had um, some interventions with Dave Mustaine to kind of exercise a little bit more of a democratic approach to songwriting rather than like a dictatorship, I suppose. Um, the band wanted to kind of collaborate more and have a little bit more creative input from all of the members which in hindsight is probably not a conversation that a band should be having. But with the success that Megadeth has had to date, um, that may not be the case anymore. But <laughs> because of the grammar in Wikipedia, it's a little bit unclear if these were related to Mustaine's control over the band or if the band was really just trying to take their piece of the popularity that came with that which is common um, when you start making money. People like to have a piece of it if you're involved. Makes sense. Um, but hey, this is coming from me. Who am I to talk? I have a podcast where I run it myself, so <laughs> no team members here. Uh, eventually, the band did re-enter the studio to make yet another mainstream attempt at an album, continuing on their trend from the last record. During the recording of the next album, Mustaine acknowledged that all the material used in the next album would disregard cataloged material written for past albums or past recording sessions. He also acknowledged that the band had a little bit more creative freedom, I guess those interventions worked, calling the album a total band effort. So teamwork makes the dream work. So they tell me, I don't know, I record and operate a podcast by myself. Uh, in November of 1994, Megadeth released their sixth studio album our first for the day euthanasia the album was released through capitol records with production credits to max norman and dave mustaine himself 
quote, total band effort. <laughs> the name is a play on words combining the words youth and euthanasia, implying that society is euthanizing its youth. Um, the cover art features an elderly woman holding babies on a clothesline, implying that we've been, quote, hung out to dry, according to bassist Dave Elfson. The cover art was designed by Hugh Syme, whose name you might not recognize, but work you might. Um, having collaborated on art for Rush, Iron Maiden, Dream Theater, and the TV show X Factor, he is a well-known artist, despite the fact that his name is probably not often shared. Critical reception and fan reception for Euthanasia was generally positive, although it is a bit of a departure from the typical Megadeth sound that you're familiar with, often being described as kind of a rock or alternative album at times, so a little bit of a departure from that thrash metal vibe that we've known Megadeth to be and as they're quoted as being. Critics gave reviews ranging from three to five stars, so mostly average to positive. The album charted at an excellent number four on the Billboard 200 in the United States. The album also received platinum certification in the U.S. and Canada. So here's what I thought about the album. There was a large part of this album where I'm like, okay, so this is the one that is probably bad early on, way before I even started the record. I'm just thinking in my head... This one is probably bad, right? Because by now, when we cover these thrash metal bands like the what we have done so far, Slayer, Anthrax, they are about three or so good records that are masterpieces and everybody quotes them as being such that came out in the 80s and for some reason are still holding ground now. And then usually what follows the masterpieces is a few shit albums and then they kind of go back to being good. At least that was the trend with Slayer and anthrax well i was actually pleasantly surprised i really didn't think that this album was going to be bad um like a dummy i had kind of set up some expectations for this album and was well proven wrong i guess in the end anyway the album is a bit different it hits a bit like the last album countdown to extinction so if you are familiar and you enjoy countdown to extinction euthanasia would probably pique your interest as well i don't think that i think if you're going to compare the two as far as quality maybe countdown to extinction is the better album between the two but that could just be depending dependent on who is listening to it um in which it's the album is a little bit more melodic, it's a little bit more lyrically driven, as kind of Countdown to Extinction was. I think that this album probably found a better medium um, than the last album did between those things. Um, what I mean is that there's a lot of fun moments with thrash metal in it, so it's not a completely rock metal or the album or whatever, the alternative album, whatever they were calling it. Um, and moments where it just kind of breaks down from that thrash, it breaks down to essentials like the lyrics and the guitar solo and stuff like that. The album does a great job of highlighting the individual talents of the actual members. And again, teamwork effort, you can kind of hear it in this album. I think that went well for the band overall. They were successful in their attempt to work as a team. Um, for instance, the song New World Order. Yes, technically... That is a demo track, and I don't know if it's on all of the releases for the record, but it's an excellently mixed demo track. All of the band seems to uh, highlight the bass, it highlights the drums and the other instruments. Everybody seems to be having their moment in that song. Pretty good song. The pacing is very nice. I didn't really feel at any point bored or rushed to complete the record. I think it had a great pace. Um, I think where the album falters a bit is it didn't really grip my attention at any point. Like, it never demanded it, my attention, like some of the other albums did. Um, like, when Sweating Bullets come on, that's one of the songs that whatever you're doing, you might stop to listen. Um, this is more of like a um, something-in-the-background type of album, that, but that kind of sounds bad for the record overall, so... I don't really want to say that, <laughs> but it never fully demanded my attention the way some of the other albums did that we talked about in part one. Um, that's a very minor complaint, though. It's, it's not that big. I'm really getting nitpicky there. Um, it's not that I didn't get out of focus or anything like that. I don't think it was boring. 
Um, it's just that if I was distracted with work or any other chore that I would clung to during this quarantine mess, um, it still seemed enjoyable despite my lack of attention. So it doesn't really demand your attention, but um, okay, I'll move on from this. <laughs> it's a great album if you're just in the mood to jam, kind of without any constraints behind that. Um, like if you just if you don't need to analyze it or things like that. Some people analyze records even if they're not musicians, but. Like with the Rest in Peace album, that kind of demands your attention a little bit, kind of drags you in and it forces you to listen to it. Sometimes you need an album like Euthanasia where you can just pop in the vinyl and then sweep the floor, <laughs> you know, or, um, you know, whatever. Moving on from this, I've kind of gone into this way more than I need to. Anyway, I did enjoy the album Euthanasia. I think it's really good. It's one that I actually purchased after listening to it because I do think it's good. It's worth your time. Um it's good in all facets of what Megadeth does great. It's not their fastest album. It's not their most complex. In fact, I hesitate to call it thrash at all. I think all hard rock, heavy metal might be a little bit closer to a thrash. Um, Reckoning Day is probably the most thrashy song on the album, but that isn't really a negative to the album because, again, I think it excels at songwriting instead of that in-your-face speed metal that some of the other records have. Songs like Train of Consequences has a such a unique and engaging chorus line. While it may not encourage any like serious neck-breaking, head-banging, mosh-pit shit, um, it will encourage you probably to just hum or sing along, or you might just kind of bob your head along as you're listening to it. Hell, it's probably a dance song, if anything. <laughs> so it's less metal and more, you know, just kind of vibing. Um, imagine that, a metal album you can dance to. <laughs> uh, like I said, it's an album that really highlights kind of all of the members of the band. The song I just mentioned, um, Train of Consequences, if you listen to it to a few times and actually try to focus on what they're doing, Try to focus on different instruments is what I actually recommend. There's a lot of soul in that song and the album as a whole. Sometimes I think metal often lacks that. Um, metal is usually hyper-focused on kind of the angrier side of things um, or Satan. Um, <laughs> so it's pretty weird, like, you know, the swirling, frolicking, head-banging song structures, you know, whatever whatever they're doing. It's not often that songs have melody in a metal song, and that's not ten that doesn't tend to be the thing people search for when they're looking for metal. It uh, depends on who you're asking. I personally like groove in metal. Um, I like melody. I like things that I can bob my head to, you know, and I think most people would probably agree with that, but there are, you know, Plenty of plenty of people and fans that like metal albums that are a little bit on the crazier, weirder side. Some of those progressive metal bands and such that are just what the fuck's happening here. Um, anyway, it depends on who you ask again, but that's just my kind of opinion on that. As I said, it's a much more considerate, intentional songwriting structure in this album with a lot of good melodies, a lot of good lyrics and stuff. I'm not really sure I have a better way of describing the album at this point. I don't think that this album inspired much, oh shit, gotta learn that riffs, but it's certainly a testament to kind of Megadeth's excellent songwriting. Um, something I feel that is often overlooked with this band because people like to hyper-focus on the Rust and Peace stuff and the Peace Sells album. It's like, oh, look at the speed and the you know precision, but their songwriting is also very well done as far as Megadeth is concerned. A few recommendations for you on Euthanasia if you've never heard it and are just interested in checking out a few songs. Reckoning Day, the album's opening track, is a great opening for the album. Really gets you in. Um, gives you an idea of kind of what you're in for for the whole album as well. Nothing too crazy, just a well-rounded song. Train of Consequences is a great song as well. Definitely a song that's worthy of repeat listens. There's not really a bad song off the album, to be honest. You can probably just pick one. I mean, even the demos are enjoyable, as I mentioned before. The clear standout is probably a Toot Lamont. I gotta mention it in here because it is the single off the record that everyone quotes the album as being good for. Great song. Very good. I'd say it's one of Megadeth's all-time best songs. One of my favorite as well. One that I could probably play my mom, you know, and stuff like that. So it's it's one of those songs that it's just good for everybody. It's not just a metalhead song. So people who are like, oh, metal is Satan, blood, and anger, um, put this song on and it'll pretty probably shut them up because they didn't realize that metal had songs like this 
it's also a beautiful song. It's just got some amazing chord progressions and chorus. Um, that solo is gorgeous as well. It really adds to the dynamic of the song overall. Anyway, shall we move on? Overall, Euthanasia, a great album. It's really worth your time. I recommend checking it out. In a lot of ways, the next album followed the same route as Euthanasia. The band toured to support Euthanasia and after some time re-entered the studio for their next album. Again, focusing on a mainstream sound, sticking to the thrash metal side alt-rock mix (laughs) that the last two albums had, the next album would again be cut and dry, kind of just well-put-together album, depending on who you ask. For those who need a refresher, the credits on this album as well as the band, um, which I didn't mention up top, but the band members in Megadeth are Dave Mustaine as lead vocalist and rhythm lead guitar. Mustaine is also credited as co-producer for the band. Dave Ellison is the bassist and backing vocalist. Marty Friedman takes up lead and rhythm guitar spots as well as some backing vocals. Nick Menza is credited for the drums. Unfortunately, the Wikipedia page does not have much backstory for this next album besides some kind of cut and dry recording drama. The band was overly unhappy with euthanasia producer Max Norman, so they hired Dan Huff in his place. The band claimed they sought to capture a new sound, unlike anything anyone's ever heard. I'll be the judge of that. (laughs) I'll be the judge dread of that. Um, Exposition aside, in June of 1997, Megadeth released their seventh studio album, our second on the podcast, Cryptic Writings. The album was once again released under the Capitol Records label with Dan Huff, as I mentioned, and Dave Mustaine in the producer roles. The album received overly positive reviews, cited as being an ambitious effort for the band. Fan reviews of the album during and since the record's release have been mostly mixed but somewhat positive. Some ranking lists tend to put it towards the bottom, some tend to put it towards the top. It really just depends on who the article is credited to and who the journalist is that made the actual ranking. Um, The album debuted at the number 10 spot on the U.S. Billboard 200, and much like the last album, received platinum certification. So let's see what I thought. Early on, when I was looking at some of the cover arts and stuff of the Megadeth albums, long before I even started listening to any of them, uh, prior to listening to this album, I too quickly judged this album by its cover art. Um, Of all the Megadeth albums, I think I find this cover art to be one of the worst or the bit It's just a bit boring. I guess it's a compass of some kind. I'm not really sure what it's implying. But usually Megadeth has some sort of art to match the theme that they're going with. Um, And I don't think the cover art really does that in this Megadeth album. It's not great, and it really doesn't give it a good vibe just judging a book by its cover type of thing. Um, Megadeth albums tend to have like a landscaped fictional design with like a lot of intrigue. Not unlike like a comic book cover or something like that usually they draw you in but this time again it's just a compass or sextant on the cover with some symbols i know it's supposed to support the title the idea of cryptic writings but it's just a bit lackluster so i judged it wrong wrongfully pretty early on before i ever listened to it it's a bad album cover like i said um Anyway, the album is a spiritual successor to Euthanasia. It's another album that just seems to be focused on melody and songwriting, which is something we've seen in the last couple of records, rather than like that in-your-face thrash metal sound that we expect from Megadeth. I like this side of Megadeth a lot. I like this era of Megadeth. I'm sure some people might dispute that one way or the other, depending on how they feel. Uh, There's some true-blooded thrash metal fans out there that, you know, just like the early stuff, but I like both sides of it, and I enjoy this side of Megadeth. It's a much easier process when I can put an album on without any inherent stress or demanding nature, (laughs) since I host a podcast where I have to analyze and break down these albums. It is nice to get something that doesn't require the demand for focus. Um, It's just a nice, entertaining album. I would say it's probably not as good as Euthanasia. We are dropping down a bit on the spectrum. Um, You know, Countdown to Extinction, really great album. Euthanasia, good album as well. Great follow-up. This one is kind of a little bit better, but there are some meh songs. Um, None of the songs are really bad. I don't think there's anything in particular 
reasons why it's bad. But just simply put, the songs are a bit meh. Um, and I think we're not trending in a good light right now. The album's production and mix is excellent. The songs are mostly catchy and fun to listen to. Some of the riffs are very nice as well. My favorite riff and the song that tended to catch my attention the most is the song Almost Honest. That riff is fun. Megadeth knows this based on how much they repeat the riff in the song that you can tell that they liked that riff because they put it in there so frequently, um, looped it essentially. That's one difference between the two albums this episode and the prior albums we've talked about. The songs are pretty straightforward. The arrangements aren't really pushing any boundaries or anything. It's, you know, it's a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and then a bridge and maybe a solo, then back to the chorus. It's a repeating similar pattern song to song. It's a very, very traditional kind of song structure that many people just kind of just go by. Sometimes when you are songwriting, it is a good thing to do just to put I want the verse here and you can structure the song early before you actually start doing things. So, you know, length and things like that, you can kind of determine it early on. I don't like that. I like more of a like freeform kind of thing. This feels like where a chorus should be. Maybe you end up with one chorus. Maybe you end up with eight. It just depends on what the song demands. Um, It's weird saying that about this kind of band because thrash metal as a whole and the actually anthrax as well as slayer are defined by speed and weird kind of progressive structures and these are not those albums um these are very more traditional like i said it's closer to hard rock than it is metal unfortunately so songs like holy wars which never repeats a riff twice you'll never hear the same riff twice it's all over the place and From that to Use the Man, which is like an acoustically driven song with basic song structures, it's there's nothing wrong with that. But again, it's very safe. It's a friendly album. And I think that's going to be a little bit off putting to a lot of hardcore Megadeth fans, depending on who you are. It's a middle ground album kind of music, middle ground safe bet. Um, You will get enjoyment out of this record, I have no doubt, even if you're a hardcore thrash metal fan. Euthanasia is a little bit better because of the songs on it, but there's really nothing wrong with the music on this album, Cryptic Writings. I think these songs cater more to, like, Mustaine's singing style. He can really, like, hold notes, and he's using a little bit less distortion in his voice, maybe better phrasing. Like, it sounds like maybe he had some training between these records that we're not hearing about. Um, at least none that I read about. And maybe that's kind of making it a little bit better because, like I said, his phrasing's a little bit better. The lyrics are a little bit more intentionally written for the song structure. It, it's much, much better than I'd say something like the first record that they ever put out that we discussed in part one. It just kind of throws off the listener when a song like Mastermind enters the mix because that's a very early days Megadeth song. That doesn't really fit into the pacing of this album. Um, But then again, there's songs like The Disintegrators, which is another early day style of thrash song until the chorus kicks in and it just kind of takes you out of it. Um, Then you have like Pink Floyd's 80s style pop song, which is like I'll Get Even. Um, I've been watching a lot of 80s themes horror stuff lately. So I actually enjoyed that song a lot, but I admit it is a bit odd in the scheme of things. The pacing is a little bit different is what I'm going with here. Um, it's a little bit inconsistent than like Euthanasia was very consistent and nice. Um, that's more of an each to, to each their own type of thing. Some people, it doesn't bother me one way or the other if you prefer one way or the other. But um, but I can see that being a little bit confusing and like a flow as far as the album is concerned. Nonetheless, it's a great record um, overall. The obvious recommendation, um, the obvious recommendation I'll give you is Trust. It's an amazing drum tune. That intro is classic, worthy of any top 10 drum intro list out there. The bass tone is gorgeous, and when it drops into that song, it's mm, mm. amazing. <laughs> it sounds like there might be a cello or a violin, but it could be a keyboard, I suppose. It's a great song, Trust, one of their best. It's a phenomenal piece of music. Um, Love that guitar riff as well. Simple, very great. Um, Almost Honest is probably my personal favorite off the record as much as I like Trust. 
Um, I just enjoyed that one. That guitar riff is delicious. Combined with that drum kicking in, it's great shit. Um, Use the Man is a good song. I kind of mentioned that. It's a very Guns N' Roses style of song, you know, the structure and stuff. I'll Get Even is a good song as well. I've been vibing to that song lately. And by the way, anyone who's a horror fan should really be investing in Shudder right now. I've never been more addicted to documentaries in my life. <laughs> Not sponsored, but this is an like this is a free ad for them, I guess. But it's more of a recommendation, kind of like everything else I do on this podcast. But part of my recent 80s horror appeal is that there's like a documentary called In Search of Darkness. It's got Corey Taylor on it. It's worth all four hours that it is, <laughs> as long as it is. Um, once it started, I really couldn't stop. Shudder is also one of the best, has the best horror movies of 2020. The host, fucking phenomenal. It, to the point where it's like no bullshit necessary, no weird plot lines, no weird romance things that we don't need in horror. It's just, you like horror? Boom, demons. <laughs> you know? Anyway, I'll get even hit hit that spot for me where I'm in, in this quarantine, where I'm in this kind of weird funk of eighties horror movies and stuff. Um, so I'll get even as that kind of song where you can see it in the background of like a thrasher movie, like at a camp or something, you know, um, maybe a lake involved too. Maybe there's a serial killer with a hockey mask, but, uh, sin is probably my least favorite track off the album. You've heard it before. I think is why that riff is very boring. It's a very blues rock kind of song that you've heard a hundred times. Um, it's bad to the bone, but sped up. <laughs> uh, she Wolf is a popular track on the album as well. Great song. I actually enjoy that one. Often it's on greatest hits, much more of a thrash friendly vibe. That's probably why people tend to like it. Anyway, overall, Cryptic Writings, it's a great album. I really liked this one. Euthanasia is slightly better. I think I'd recommend that over Cryptic Writings, but still worth your time. Still a good album. Anyway, on to the next one. So there's a little bit of history here to discuss. During the 1997 tour for the last album, drummer Nick Menza discovered a tumor on his knee and had to leave the band to undergo surgery for the tumor. A drummer with a knee injury is not an ideal injury as well. Uh, Cryptic Writings would unfortunately be the last time we see Menza on the drum throne as far as the albums are concerned. His collaboration and work with Megadeth will be missed. Rest in peace, Nick Menza. He was replaced by Jim DeGrasso on the next album. Again, band entered a tour season following Cryptic Writings release with plans to re-enter the studio for the next album. An interview with former Metallica bandmate Lars Ulrich is quoted as saying Megadeth doesn't really take enough risks. So the next album, Risk, was released in August of 1999. The album was released under Capitol Records, produced by Dan Huff and Dave Mustaine. The critic and public reception for the album was mixed to negative, many critics citing that the band had, quote, lost its edge. And it is frequently compared with Metallica's Load and Reload records, which are also not often well-received, but we're not talking about Metallica, are we? The album charted at number 16 on the Billboard 200, still relatively good for an album that was not well-received. This part was a little bit confusing, but Dave Mustaine would actually blame the lack of success on Risk. Um, for it being under the Megadeth moniker, um, which he believed, I guess, made it lack a positive reception. It, it's a bit confusing. I guess he's implying that Megadeth, the name Megadeth, is less commercially successful. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, we'll get to it. Um, <laughs> I think that the last few albums being mainstream successes kind of proves that statement wrong in itself. But hey, everyone has to find a way to cope, I guess, when there's a bad record. Um, my biggest struggle is to find a way to describe why this album isn't great. It feels a bit like Stone Temple Pilots in a way, like it, which I should clarify, STP is an amazing band and all their albums are great, but we are talking about Megadeth. So Megadeth is not a great STP band. <laughs> um, are they good at making an STP record? Well, no. I mean, some of their stuff has been a little bit alternative, but they're a thrash metal band. So why are they trying to do alternative? Um, there's very little thrash in this record, Risk. Again, to remind you of the record name, which isn't new based on the last two records, but I kind of hesitate to call this album metal. I mean, that's kind of been the same with the last couple, isn't it? 
It's got some metal moments, but it's a bit more hard rock than actual metal. You know, this if this is Megadeth's worst album, I don't know if it is, um, then that is kind of good news. It's good news because it's not awful. It's true. Truly, it's not a bad album per se. Um, more like a questionable one where you're just a little bit confused, kind of like Dave Mustaine's statement on why the album wasn't successful. There's just questionable moments in the album that I would ask what happened there or what were they going for initially and what, how, why did it become that? You know, there, there's songs that sound like they took ideas from the last two records and kind of made it into songs. Um, like they took the riff from Almost Honest off of cryptic writings that one of my highlights off that record or maybe like the riff they didn't like and then they made prince of darkness you know because prince of darkness essentially feels like the same riff that almost honest is which is um to be almost honest disappointing this feels like one of the those albums that bands released later in their careers you know like a compilation of those songs that they decided never to actually put into an album um or like things that they feature on greatest hits like the last four out or songs on the greatest hits are songs from you know recording sessions um which means that the songs aren't bad but they aren't really great uh they're just kind of mediocre they're i was a bit bored while listening to this record i felt a bit hard pressed to get through it overall it's an album that I really just wanted to get through it and kind of move on. I listened to it a few times to find the exact reason what didn't work. But besides what I mentioned, I guess I, I don't really know. I think that the songs lack the same catchiness that the last two albums did. Risk maintains the sound and tone of the last two records, but doesn't really pull off the songwriting part that they got right in the last two records. The songs aren't bad, they're just a bit bland, which might actually be worse depending on who you are, but it's just a forgettable album overall. If anything, it'll be remembered for being bad rather than being bland, but because for me personally, this is just going to be the album that never really hit it. Going back to the idea that the album is questionable, listening to the intro to Enter the Arena, about 41 seconds of Dave Mustaine repeating the word crush as if in a coliseum and the crowd cheering for no mercy type of thing. But then the next song, that song is a building intro, as far as I know. Um, it is something to prepare the listener for what's coming next, get you excited for what's coming next. It's a anticipation, that tense moment in a horror movie with no payoff. But usually in horror movies, if there's no payoff, it's because there will be shortly. <laughs> um but it's it's a song that really builds up to the next song, Crush Em, and then it's just disappointing payoff. Um, it cr When it goes in from Enter the Arena to Crush Em, it's just lackluster, it's downright disappointing, and it really just, I immediately didn't like that song. There's a build-up to what? Silence? <laughs> um, why did we have an interlude that was just pointless build-up? You know, you didn't even have to have the intro track if you're just going to play Crush Em after that. That might work for a horror movie, like I said, build up the tension with no payoff, but this is music we're talking about, and if there's a build-up, people expect a payoff, and it's rare to have an album that builds up to something that doesn't pay off. Telltale Signs of a Bad Roller Coaster is kind of climbing all the way up to the top, anticipation building, you're about to go up to the top, the whirly gradual hill, and then suddenly it's just like a, you know, like a leisurely ride to the bottom. You know, you go... 100 feet in the air and then just suddenly it's just like one foot at a time gradually going down rather than the sudden drop that everybody wants when they go up those things so that's basically what i'm implying between those two songs i can't even say that the album overall is rushed i think we caught mustaine maybe in a bad moment or something i'm not really sure the songwriting is just okay it's not great it's not bad my biggest problem is the repeated riff from Almost Honest, because again, Almost Honest and Cryptic Writings is a great song. It's a highlight off that record. But seriously, Prince of Darkness and Breadline take that same chord pattern, and it doesn't work. It feels like trying to capitalize on something they knew worked, but then they did it bad. Something YouTubers do too often. Hey, that reaction video worked. Let's make 28 more of those. Like, okay, it was fun the first time, but now clearly you're just 
trying to market on something that trended once. It's a little bit uninspired. It's just to get something out there. Maybe they ran out of ideas. Who who the fuck knows? I like to think that this is just a funk that Megadeth needed to get out of. Again, being a bit unfair to the band here overall, the quality just takes a significant drop. The songs are very uninteresting. It's boring. The riffs are uninspired. The drums seem a bit off at times, like they never actually finished the recording for the drums. Songs like Doctor's Calling, it's like a quarter measure too short or early. You can't really tell. Or everyone else is off, and maybe it just it just didn't feel like a polished Megadeth album that it could have been in previous records. It's an album that's drawn back, a comedic script where you're kind of waiting for a punchline that never comes. Um, or it doesn't come, and it's delivered in the wrong way. So overall, I would say this is the album to avoid Risk. It's not a great record, one of my least favorites thus far. So Risk wasn't a great album for the band as well, not just for me, as we discussed. So the band needed to make a change. The last few albums seemed to be attempts to reach the mainstream success that some bands like Metallica have tasted and maintained to this day. With that, the band made the decision to kind of go back to their roots here, to kind of stylize their next album with the thrash genre in mind. Two years in the making, the band released The World Needs a Hero on May of 2001. This would be the ninth studio album for Megadeth released under the guise of Sanctuary Records. I'd love to tell you why the band decided to change labels suddenly, but I simply cannot and could not find an answer to that. The cover art for The World Needs a Hero captured a lot of the feel of the classic albums, even to the point that fans thought it was a little bit more of a return to form. The cover art for World Needs a Hero captured a lot of the feel of their classic albums. Even the cover art is the first album since Rust in Peace to include the mascot Vic Rattlehead. However, critic reception for the album did not really favor this record. Often the album was cited as still being a little bit too much of a hand-fisted attempt to reach a mainstream success and sound. Opening to mixed and negative reviews, this is one of the worst reviewed albums that we've seen thus far by the band. On a higher note, despite critic reviews, the album actually did get up to the number 16 spot, which is good for the Billboard 200. Let's see if we agree with the critics here. I have some issues with this album. I think this one, between Risk and this one, I suppose this one is actually my least favorite. <laughs> I know I said Risk was my least favorite, but this one takes the cake. Again, thus far, we haven't gotten to the next episode yet, so maybe an album will actually beat out both of them. But this one, so far, has been my least favorite. At this point, there's a lot going on in the music that feels like overplayed tropes. I don't feel that this album really delivers anything new in the scheme of things. As a standalone, even, it feels outdated. It's a bit boring. It's a bit disconnected. There are moments in pretty much every song that you're like, okay, maybe I can vibe with this, but I guarantee by the end of it, it's just going to be okay or bad. Just okay really isn't okay in the long run. It, it doesn't encourage any kind of repeat listens. There's no breakdowns that'll draw you in. There's not really any catchiness or compelling moments that'll capture your attention. It's just a bleh album. <laughs> I don't think I'd say that it's bad per se, but I suppose that the definition of bad might be different to everyone. I think my least favorite thing overall is the timing and the pacing of the actual songs. The guitar parts, I, I use... Burning Bridges is kind of an example here. Have an odd pacing that isn't slow, it isn't fast, and I struggle to find the timing of it. It sounds like the drummer may have had a similar issue because the drums just sound a little bit too bouncy with their timing, a little bit too hesitant, like he's not sure if that's the part where he needs to hit the snare. The vocal phrasing struggles a little bit here as well. Songs like Promises seem like they could have been sung a little bit different. Um, I'm not sure what it is. Maybe if they drop the tuning a half step or sped it up a little bit. But there's something that's just not quite connecting in this album overall. As a listener, you'll probably feel similar where you're listening to these songs. You'll probably just have a subconscious feel that something isn't quite connecting. There's a lot of moments just like the previous album that just don't have the payoff. Pretty much the entire song, Recipe for Hate, War Horse, is a song of exactly that. Boring buildup, 
It's building up, it's building up, building up, no climax, and then it just ends. You can't really, I guess you could say blue balls technically, but if you get blue balls, that implies you've been satisfied from the start. I, I still like to get Mustaine's kind of headspace for this album. I'd love to like interview the guy to just be like, you know, tell tell me about this one. What happened? You know, what? why did you do this part in this song? I'm probably wrong, but as a musician, there are periods of, you know, nothing good as far as records are concerned and riff writing and things like that. But like Tuesday and Wednesday, you might have an awesome, awesome day, like interesting riffs back to back. And then Thursday, you cannot find the same juice that you had in Tuesday and Wednesday. You know, this album just feels like that lull period, like the riffs just aren't hitting. You aren't finding those chord progressions you need. Your emotions aren't in it as a listener. That's how this album feels, because it feels that way and I struggle to enjoy it. (laughs) Um, It's not a complete waste of time. For instance, Dread and The Fugitive Mind. That's a great song. The intro is very exciting. And because it's later in the record, it does kind of capture your attention before the album ends more more so than it probably, I'd say, Cryptic Writings does. But um, what I mean is that there's like three boring or disappointing songs before it. And then the intro to that song is more like a slap in the face or somebody pouring water on you while you're asleep. It just kind of jumpstarts you back into the album when the other records were the other songs that were right before it were just not as enjoyable also enjoy the song Disconnect. Not a bad way to start an album, honestly. And despite the title being how I feel about the album, um, Disconnect is everything but disconnected. <laughs> but um, uh, A World Needs a Hero is not a terrible song. Also, the title track, I enjoy the chorus. Uh, Motorcycle as well, not a terrible one. I don't know, man. Overall, I think that this one is probably the most disappointing Um, It's not the worst thing I've heard just in general. I think we've heard worse records before. It's just a bit lackluster. It's just a bit flavorless. It's my least favorite album to date. It has its moments, but it's not really enough to save the album overall, the quality, enjoyment, or the feel. Um, So message me if you felt differently. But anyway, just kind of want to move on to the next record. We've now reached the final album of today's episodes, but don't worry if you're eager for me to cover United Abominations and the rest of the more recent albums that Megadeth has to offer, there will be a part three episode soon. In 2002, taking this direct from Wikipedia, Dave Mustache temporarily disbanded Megadeth due to an arm injury. According to Mustaine in a Suicide Girls interview, this was actually a welcome departure from the band. There appeared to be some minor bickering and boredom overall between the band members, often cited as kind of like a marriage that's falling apart. And if you, if the last two albums were anything to go by, then I think a break was probably much needed for the band. The arm injury was actually no small issue either. Having to go through surgery and post-op physical therapy for many months, which required him to actually relearn how to use his left hand, it was actually unclear to doctors whether or not the metal musician would ever play guitar again, something that no guitarist wants to ever hear. However, after a few months of treatment, he actually did make a recovery to a certain degree and did actually re-enter the studio with the band to record the next album. It was a sparing recording session, according to Wikipedia. Mustaine was actually limiting his time in the studio, probably to protect his arm, but also just nonchalantly writing when he had the chance. The System Has Failed is the 10th studio album by Megadeth, released under Sanctuary Records. The album was originally intended as a Mustaine solo record, but actually rebranded due to some record label shenanigans. The album was produced by Dave Mustache and Jeff Balding, who also did the Risk record, which I failed to mention. The System Has Failed is often looked at highly by many fans and critics, cited as a true return to form, and even the artwork seems to confirm this, featuring images of Bill and Hillary Clinton, George Bush, and Dick Cheney, containing some political message that I have no expertise about, so I cannot make a good opinion about. The System Has Failed open to generally positive reviews, often getting 4 out of 5 stars, and getting as far as the number 18th spot on the Billboard 200 charts. After listening to these albums on this podcast episode, I looked up some of the history. 
I always look it up afterwards. I try to listen to the records before I get any context to any of the albums. I'll just look at the maybe the cover art is the most that I'll do. I don't like lists and critic reviews to form my opinions is basically what I'm saying. I don't like the history of something to form an opinion. I think if I had known, you know, what was going on in the band's headspace during a recording session, I think it would probably bias my opinion a little bit, if that's how I can use that word. I'm the same way with actually movies, books, video games. I actually prefer if we could go to a format where trailers don't exist. Now, I know movie trailers are a format of marketing, but so they're a little bit necessary in that regard. But again, I'm just not that person. I like to go in with a fresh mindset. I don't want to be faced by anything like that. So after listening to this album, a few things popped in my research. The phrase good but not great is thrown around a lot with Megadeth. Um, I'm sure the band is tired of hearing that, but it kind of fits well with the last couple albums that we've heard. Online lists vary a lot with Megadeth. Cryptic writings tend to be scattered throughout top 10 lists, and it really just depends on the reviewer, it seems. Like, whoever the journalist is, these, these segments of albums that we've covered today, besides maybe Euthanasia, tend to be all over the place. You know, they people can't really come to a consensus on whether or not these albums are good. Now, while I personally enjoyed, I think, most of the albums today, they weren't all great. Cryptic Writings was an amazing record, and so is Euthanasia, but I think beyond that, some of them kind of fell apart. The World Needs a Hero, the consensus on that album, is that it isn't the best the band has done to date. I'm about to say a similar thing with this record. I think the system has failed isn't as quote-unquote bad as The World Needs a Hero, but it's not great either. I have yet to hear a bad Megadeth album in kind of a traditional sense of the word bad. If you've listened to previous episodes of this podcast, then you'll know I'm not really one to shy away from saying an album is shit. I just don't think that these records really fit into that kind of terminology. I don't think that they have a shit album or even a bad one, really. They are very well-rounded musicians, and to be honest, the albums that don't really hit as hard are just a bit boring and not really bad. It's not like I can say, oh well, Mustaine's guitar playing fell apart, the tone is shit, the drummer sucks. I cannot say that because it'd be a lie. The music is generally really good. The instrumentation, the musicianship, and the albums are often very, very good. Even if the album doesn't really connect, it really just comes down to the songs for themselves. So that's why I think these albums that we talked about today have been a little bit all over the place is because I think it just depends on the person that's listening to the song. Maybe you liked it. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you liked all of the songs. Maybe you liked a few sparse in between. While the riffs may not vibe with me, the lyrics may seem meh, and the vocals on part of the albums may not particularly vibe with me, it's really a phrasing issue. But I don't think anyone who likes The System Has Failed should feel bad, or The World Needs a Hero. It's not, because it has good work behind it. It's good musicianship that's behind these albums. It's truly just a victim for me of being boring or just uninteresting. They aren't really catchy. They never really hooked me. And even if it had moments of headbanging, they would kind of just fall apart after a minute. There's a lot of songs in this that seem one way and then turn out another, like grabbing a bottle of ketchup and realizing it's actually cake. Granted, you might like cake, but you were expecting ketchup. Probably not the best analogy, but it's the one I can think of because I've been on Reddit too much this week. (laughs) So enough beating around the bush. Is this album good? Well, it's I like it better than the last two. Um, Between the two, I think I preferred this record over The World Needs a Hero or maybe even risk to a certain degree. But it's kind of a game of numbers. I can probably just flip a coin or roll some dice, and wherever they fall, they might fall there. This album has like one or two memorable songs, so pick your poison, I guess. Um, I don't think that either this or the last album are bad, but they aren't the best either. I'm not sure I'd recommend either either. Either, either. (laughs) Uh, Here's what I will say. The album starts great. Blackmail the Universe is a really cool song. It's a very hopeful intro. When the album started, I was like, hey, thank God we're back. (laughs) But 
it was like getting to the good part in a YouTube video and then getting hit with a fucking advertisement. Blackmail the Universe, great song, great guitar. I actually enjoyed Die Dead Enough um, as well. I hate the title, but I like the chorus. I liked it. It was vibing with me. Has an odd timing on the bridge as well, which I couldn't really figure out. But still, good song overall, Die Dead Enough. Playlist worthy. Also a James Bond title, if I do say so. Um, One thing this album does have going is it's got its speed back. Um, Well, kind of. It's a little bit more thrashy than the last couple. It's a little bit avoidance of the mainstream success stuff as earlier records had. But it's not as fast as probably the early Megadeth records, but it's still faster than the last few. I really wouldn't call this album commercially friendly, per se. Feels a little bit more like traditional Megadeth. Um, At least they're kind of headed back in that direction. Songs like Kick the Chair, fun song, much more like their kind of older stuff. This is probably an album that's more discussed than the last few records, if I had to guess. I bet there's plenty of split fandom for this record and personally. But like I said, it has its moments. It's not perfect, but it's really kind of dependent on my mood, whether or not songs hit it off with me. Like the song back in the day when I was in a good mood or maybe on like a Monday, it didn't really sit well with me um, or when I was a bad mood, I should say. But when I was in a good mood and well rested, I think I tended to like the song um, when I was in a crap mood. Like I said, it was the opposite. Basically, I'm kind of conflicted on the system. Um, It's really hard album to kind of judge overall. Probably saying that it's in the middle of the road is a safer bet. It's not one of their best records, but it's not one of their worst. I think it has some good moments, good riffs. It's got some fun chorus melodies, some catchy melodies, some good chord progressions. But at the same time, it is a bit boring at times. It does fall flat when you expect it to hit high. So the lyrics aren't as catchy or maybe the lyrical flow rather than the lyrics themselves. It has the right ingredients for a good album, but maybe just kind of got left on the stove too long and got overcooked or undercooked. Who knows? Anyway, I think that's going to be it for part two. I hope you enjoyed this episode, Megadeth Discography Part 2. Again, we'll be back for part three soon once I finish listening to the rest of them and actually analyzing and cutting them down and doing the history and all of that stuff. I am a solo man doing all of this podcast stuff. But again, as always, if you were listening to the podcast, I appreciate your interest. Thank you for checking this out. If you are new, you might consider subscribing. I think you know how that works. Being probably a viewer of YouTube and such, you know how subscriptions and follows and likes and etc. work. So up to you. But if you do like or subscribe, I always appreciate it. Thank you. If you like the podcast enough to share with your friends that is always appreciated as well you might check out buttermilk boulevard on instagram facebook twitter we're not as active on social media i think instagram is probably the one we're most active on but if you want to send us a comment and let us know what bands you'd like us to cover in future episodes or what artists or if you have a recommendation for songs or if you just want to reach out and talk about metal or just talk about megadeth overall just feel free I'm there. I will listen. But nonetheless, thank you guys for listening. I will be back in part three. I've been James with Buttermilk Boulevard. Y'all rock on. Stay safe. Be happy, etc. Music and... (laughs)